Hey, Life Canton. Roger here, Director of Students and Young Adult Ministries. Whether you are a returning listener or a brand new listener, I just want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're here with us today. You're going to hear another message from our series that we've been going through called The Imago Day, all about the image of God. But before we get to that, just want to remind anyone, uh, whether returning or brand new, uh, that God is up to a lot in this community, in this church. And if you want to participate in what he's doing, uh, you can do that a lot of ways. But one of the ways is to by financially support the mission of this church. So if you want to do that, head over to our Life uh, Church Canton dot org forward slash give page to give and to be a part of supporting that mission like i said we're going to be in another week of imago day and this week we're going to talk about marriage and singleness with pastor nathan it's a great message so i hope you hear the encouragement and the challenge in it uh, and i'll catch up with you in just a minute amen well i'm excited that you are here my name is nathan i'm one of the pastors and uh god is going to move in a powerful powerful way you can have a seat Really, we're focusing near to the end of this gathering because last gathering and, and why we set it up is to encounter Jesus in a special way. So I hope that you're anticipating that. Uh, my name is Nathan, and we are in a series called Imago Day. Last week, Jared spoke about sexuality and sexual attraction. So, you know, nothing really that big or difficult or uh, political or anything like that, no. <laughs> it was part of our position paper on this to help you understand where we're at and what we believe so we can have great conversation and help you understand how you fit within that. Um, If you're new, and maybe this is your first week or second week, first time in person uh, as you've attended online, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. One of the things we want to be known for as a church is a church that everyone can belong, that you belong here, and that we're willing to talk about difficult things in a way that's invitational. So I hope that you feel like you belong Fill out a Connect card. It's a great way for us to connect with you, but also to help you as you move along in your journey. You can ask questions, put prayer requests, all kinds of stuff on there. So grab it in your hand, fill it out, and take it to the Welcome Center if you haven't before. Last week, Jared had a powerful message, and he talked about the moment that Jesus was there with religious leaders, and they dragged a woman caught in adultery, and they were going to stone her. And he said, He who is without sin can throw the first stone. And Jared's line in there is like, hey, we need to put our stones down, our judgmental stones where we try to to throw them at people and all of that. It it was a powerful message. You should go check it out in relation to the position paper as well. But someone came up to him afterwards. This person was a newer person. I'm going to paraphrase a little little bit, but just challenged us. He came up and he said, listen, I, I, I think I've been looking for the church to hand me a stone, to give me a stone to throw, going to church to look at the church to find some way to help me be judgmental or to throw out or express it. And I, I, and I was just blown away by that moment. And what we're doing as a church is the opposite of that. We don't want to create moments where you take the things that we've said and use it against people, but instead to do what Jesus did. See, Jesus was the only one who could throw a stone, and instead he got down in the dirt. He got down with the vulnerable, and he placed himself with those who are hurting. With that in mind, I want to put, uh, draw your attention to something before we get started that you may be aware of and is kind of plaguing our country right now, which is the shootings that are going on. In Buffalo, where uh, 10 black people were killed as they shopped for food in a hate crime by an 18-year-old. In California, 
one that maybe you didn't hear about, a Taiwanese man locked Chinese churchgoers in their sanctuary and began shooting. And then, of course, the one that's on most of our minds in Texas, where another 18-year-old kid killed 19 children and two adults. So I want to pause and I want to pray for all of these shootings in our country and for the families affected. But I'm asking you to put your stones down when we do this. Put your stones down and where you stand in regards to gun control or how long the police took or, or, or whatever. And instead, look to Jesus in this moment and where Jesus would be, who instead of throwing stones, knelt down in the dirt with those who are hurting. So let's descend into that place with these families and communities. Ultimately, these crimes have been committed because we have desecrated and distorted the image of God in others. We've lost our ability to see the beauty in every age, every descent, every race, language, skin tone. And our rage as a community has created an environment that has festered, and we are harvesting that anger now as a community. I think of our children who are already have suffered our hatred over the last couple of years. It's affected their well-being, their resiliency. They're feeling safe in this world emotionally, and now they're not feeling safe as some have paid with their lives. Well, let's ask God for his presence. Holy Spirit, I pray first, God, that, and ask that you would allow me and us as a church to be humble to humble ourselves, to lay down all of the things we want to throw and instead to engage in godly sorrow with those who are hurting, those who are broken. It's so easy to get numb to this, God, because it's hard and it's painful. But God, we place ourselves down in the dirt with the families whose lives have been ever defined by the events of the last couple weeks the loss and the pain and the suffering. And we, God, we humble ourselves. And then we cry out to you, God, when will it stop? When will it change? God, will you not intervene and stop the violence and the death and the pain? We beg you, God, to show up. But God, we ask for you to move. And then, God, we turn and we say, send me. Let me be part of the change. Let us be part of the change. Let us bear the light of love and justice in our world. And let's not spread hate which festers in the wound of our community, but instead bring the peace and love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining me in this. And continue to keep the families in your prayers as their world is now completely different. This all comes down to the fact that we have not seen the image of God in people. The Imago Dei, this whole series, is about the idea that God has imprinted himself onto every human being and desires to reconnect that person to him so they can find themselves. Today, we're going to talk about singleness and marriage. It's an Imago Dei issue. It's an identity issue. And all of us, including myself as I've written this, has been challenged by the idea that we find our belonging in things other than God. We're going to go through section by section, which means I'm going to be able to show you part of the paper 
on the screen and then highlight a few sentences. It's on our Now page right now. And these position papers, as a reminder, are there to help us uh, speak clearly, to be accountable, and to start conversations. So we hope that this is intended, that you are able to engage with us at your level. Let's jump in to the very beginning of our singleness and marriage paper. God created humanity in His image, the Imago Dei. And God embodies a perfect relationship, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we were created to reflect that relational God and our human relationships with others. But however, since the beginning, the intention of our relationships has become and continues to be distorted and desecrated by the adversary of God. Relationships have become an idol, which is something that takes the place of our dependence on God. And our society defines marriage as a result of compatibility, chemistry, and convenience. And even the church has elevated marriage to an unhealthy arrival status, where a single person is considered less than. How do we recapture the original intent that God has for our relationships? There's a lot in this little paragraph of talking about why we need this paper. I want to talk about what was so good. What, what, what are we invited into? The line that says that best is, we were created to reflect that relational God in our human relationships with others. So we were created to reflect that triune God in our human relationships with others. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we're invited into that relationship with each other. That's amazing. Remember when Jesus said, and he prayed over his disciples, he said to them, may you all be one as you, God, you and I are one. An invitation into relationship. You know, it'd be nice. I I talked to a couple people. I'm more of an extrovert, but when I get really stressed out, I turn into an introvert, and uh, I kind of resonate with people when they say, like, you know, I wish I just didn't have to interact with humans ever. Anyone, Anyone feel that way? That's good, that's good. I'm really proud of you for raising your hands because that's interacting with humans, so thank you. Um, But unfortunately for you, um, we are made to be in relationship with others. That is how we were designed. So it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing that we get to be a part of. Difficult, but beautiful. There's a problem, though. We've looked to relationships for something they shouldn't be. Second line is relationships have become an idol, something that takes the place of our dependence on God. Let me explain it this way. We have looked to relationships to be completed. Uh, Jerry Maguire, you guys like that movie? For all of us over 30, uh, know what that movie is. It has Tom Cruise in it, which is still relevant today. I think, what is he, 80? Uh, That guy is amazing. Um, But he gets to the end of the movie, and he looks to this this girl, the love interest, and looks at him and goes, you complete me. He says it really like Tom Cruise-y. And uh, this idea that has imprinted us, like, I want to be completed by the person that I love, that I'm with. That, that's kind of something we talk about a lot. That's actually the definition of an idol. <laughs> you cannot be completed by anything, any achievement, or any person. The only person you can be completed by is God. God says who you are. And so when we look to our relationships... To tell us who we are, we interrupt that connection to God because we stop looking to Him and we look to other people. 
Now, that relationship with God is only possible because of Jesus Christ. So if you don't know him, you're not following him, you don't have that in the first place. So you'll be doomed to look around to everything you possibly can to find out who you are, but always feel this lack because it's only God. Now, I, I thought of this word, interrupt. For those of us who follow Jesus, when we look to our spouse, we look to a relationship to find our identity and meaning to complete us, we actually create an inner rupture. Uh, interrupt an inner rupture, a rupture of this relationship with God, and we start looking into dry wells for the living water of God. It is, it is a powerful thing that we have turned relationships into something that becomes God. This relational gift that's supposed to be so good, we start falling in love with the gift instead of the Father. That's what an idol is. Now, on top of that, let's talk about our world, our society, specifically America. Our society defines marriage as a result of compatibility, chemistry, and convenience. Most people are in relationships because of these things, according to our society. You're questioned if something doesn't line up with that. Now, this doesn't surprise me at all. Our world was made for convenience and comfort. We have made convenience and comfort our God. Now, we can talk about this in funny ways, and I'll just use some examples for mine. Hey, I pay for prime two-day shipping, not three-day shipping, two-day shipping, and I should get some money back if it gets here in three days. Anyone said anything like that? I have. Can you believe it? I went to Target and did the drive-thru order. They said it was ready. It took them 20 minutes to bring it out, and they forgot an item. This is ridiculous. And one of my favorite. This is my favorite. Sitting there. Ugh. My internet won't stream 4K. That's funny, right? And you have your own. Oh, but those are the, the soft ones. But here's the deal. We've turned that and made our relationships the same. When our relationship isn't convenient, when our relationship isn't passionate, when we just don't feel connected or compatible anymore, these are the issues that we go through every day. Now, this is our society. I mean America. Now, most of us are getting married because of these things. Because in India and South Korea, the majority of marriages are still arranged. It doesn't have to do with that. It has to do with other things that maybe aren't God-honoring. But, but it's helpful to understand that this is an American culture. In fact, it is a very recent development that in the global world, people get married for love, for passion. Now, according to every 90s movie I ever grew up, grew up with, or rom-coms, it's all about, you know, love. It's all about compatibility. It's all about passion. But in reality, this is a new development. All right. So we've talked about idols. We've talked about society. But let's talk about the church. Because I had a line in here, if you caught it, it says, even the church has elevated marriage to an unhealthy arrival status, while a single person is considered less than. You know, if you're married, you made it. You did it. Good job. But as a single person, you're like, why aren't you married, right? You don't really have people ask the question, why are you married, to married people, right? Like, not the same way they do to singles. It's weird. I, I, the church does this, and it's at the very high level. It's not like, oh, you do it. No, no, no. Like, we do it. The staff members do it. I'll, I'll give you an example. When I was first uh, getting into uh, uh, getting into ministry, I was working, not really important, but I was getting ready to go to seminary, um, but I didn't have a ministry job. I was just working, and a guy um, in the local area had a young adult ministry. He had lost his intern. 
He had seen me two times, talked to me once, invited me out uh, uh, for lunch. We sat down, we started talking to me, and he says, hey man, we had this situation where we have this fully paid internship for the summer, and it's in this ministry, and, this, and, and, and I'm out. I need someone. I need someone tomorrow. And um, I was thinking about different people, and most of my interns come from this one place, and they're all just like single young men, but you're married, so you'd be better for this already. And, 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 uh, and I kind of paused for a second, and I said, I said, hold on. I said, what? And he goes, he goes well, you're married, so you, you definitely could do this job. And I'm like, you don't know me at all. All you know is that I'm married and not single, and you think I'm better for the job because I'm married? You don't even know me. You don't know my wife. You don't know how crazy our story is. You see, this happens all the time in staffs. We start considering people and say, okay, well, we have a, uh, a youth pastor position, and they're single. Uh-oh. Whew, if they're a single person, how are they going to control their, 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 uh, you know, their hormones around young people? Like, I'm serious. This is what happens all the time. If someone's married, they're automatically better for the job. This happens constantly because we have elevated marriage to this place where all of a sudden, if you're married, you are better than. So what did God create marriage to be? If we have all these struggles, if we have all these issues, what is it truly about? And how should we respond? Not to what we assumed or culture has taught us, but the Holy Spirit has revealed through His Word. Let's dive into it. This next paragraph, Life Canton will reclaim our identity in Jesus and not define our identity by human relationships. Relationships are important to God, and He created us as relational beings. But whether we are single or married does not change our status as temples of the living God. We must submit all of our relationships to God. That's why this is in the series, The Imago Dei. It always comes back to this. You were made in His image. And when you accepted Jesus, you submitted all of your activity, all of your actions, all of who you are to Christ. You lay down your life. That's baptism in the water, right? That's what that signifies. And you come up and claim His. And we're always in this constant process of laying down ourselves and picking up what Jesus says about us. I want to encourage you to read all of 1 Corinthians 7. This is Paul talking about relationships, and it's gold. It's really, really, really good. Um, And we're going to spend a few um, passages in here. It serves as an excellent text for your study. I want to start not with marrieds, but with singles. I want to talk to you in the singles in the audience. What up? How are you guys doing? You doing all right? You doing okay? Okay, you're all, you're like, what's he going to say? <laughs> I get it. Again, Mary's like, yeah, I kind of care what he says. Singles are like, what are you going to say? You know? But you could be single if you're a student as well. So, hey, students, you're singles as well, although we're single right now. Um, grateful that you're in the room. It could be that you've never been married. It could be that you're a widow, a widower, or you're divorced. You could have kids, and you could have no kids. And it even applies to those who are not married yet. So you could be dating, but you're not married. I'm considering you in this category of singleness. Let's read what we have written. Singleness. We are blessed to be in relationships with one another, but we believe there's no biblical mandate to be married. Jesus himself committed to a life of celibacy and ministry, while Paul encouraged those in the church to remain single, to be concerned about the things of the Lord. The intent of singleness is to fully dedicate their time to justice and love in our world. So we will empower those who are single to have a seat and a voice at the leadership 
of our church. Like all followers of Jesus, he calls us to be in community as we engage in discipling relationship. This call is our mandate from Jesus in the Great Commission and is a strength for single people. Don't you marinate on that for just a second? Now, there's a lot going on there. We're going to dive into it. But before we go any further, I want to go into the Word of God, explain one of the texts that we took this from, that we understood this from. It's in 1 Corinthians 7. uh, 7. We'll start there. We'll put it up on the screen here. Here's what it says. I wish that all of you were married. Oh, no, that's not what it says. What does it say? I wish that all of you were as I am, meaning not married. Each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now, to the unmarried and widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay, first of all, anyone ever heard a message on this section? Anyone going like, that's not in the Bible? (laughs) No, it is. What is he basically saying here? He's like, hey, if it's not your gift and you're too weak, get married. (laughs) That's what this says. And we don't preach about that very often. We actually look at singles and say, is something wrong with you for not being married? What is going on here? Well, let's continue on. He's not done yet. Uh, 728. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. He's like, this is not like really a great thing for like, oh, marriage is not sounding so good. But here's why. Here's why. It comes down to this. It's not about marriage being hard. It's not about that. It's about this. Verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. He talks to women too. An unmarried woman is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How he can please the Lord. But a married man, a married woman, is concerned with the affairs of this world. How can he please his wife? How can she please her husband? And their interests are divided. Here's what I want you to know. The intent of singleness is to be fully dedicated to justice and love in our world, to bearing that torch. Marriage, there are responsibilities, there's a le- the capacity, all these kinds of things in order which you have to pour into it because that is part of what you do. We'll hear in just a moment what that's all about. But those who are single, if they are part of the family of God who is supporting them the way they should be, are able to do more and to live more intentionally. So I want to elevate singles to have the ability to make an impact in this world. You are not less than. In fact, in some ways, you're doing what some of us can't do as a part of the body of Jesus Christ and the hope for this world. Single people, you can make an extreme difference in the world, and I'm talking to you students as well. This isn't something, hey, wait until you can get married, then have this conversation. No, I'm talking to you right now. You can make a difference in this world. All people who are single, no matter how you got there, you can be torchbearers that bring justice and love in the world in a way that is unique and powerful, and we should celebrate you and celebrate what God can do. 
you know, kind of realize this. I was single a while ago. You know, obviously, I got married younger, so it's harder and harder for me to remember that time. But I was in college, and I had gotten the call to be in ministry. I started off in um, high school history. I wanted to be a history teacher. And then I taught a drumline for two years with, with high schoolers and realized I don't like high schoolers. I'm sorry, I, don't like, I didn't like those high schoolers. You high schoolers are fine, I'm sure. There's nothing... And grow with you. I, and I realized, but, but um, anyways, God called me to ministry, um, and, I, and I was really excited about it. And then I realized, okay, I'm going to come back and do ministry. I'm going to go start serving in a church. And you're like, well, now you got to go to seminary, and that's a master's degree, and that happens after. So I'm at the Ohio State University doing my bachelor's degree, kind of changed um, to be ready for that, doing my thing. And all of a sudden, about six months after I was called to ministry, I realized I had changed absolutely nothing about the time that I spent or what I did. And I said, why are you waiting for three years to start acting, to start being someone who's going to serve God with their whole life? And then I realized, no, I'm going to make some changes now. And this isn't unique to me because I'm going to be a pastor. It's the same to each one of us, no matter where we're at in the journey, but especially young people and especially those who are single, who have more ability and capacity and emotional time to invest in the kingdom. So I started reading the Bible. I started getting involved in ministry right away because I realized just because there's some kind of a degree doesn't mean my life isn't supposed to be about ministry. And the same is for you. What I hope that you understand is this. Singleness is not a status to escape. Singleness is not a status to escape, but a season to embrace. And what I mean by season Season may be your whole life. You might be like Paul, and you embrace that. You embrace that singleness. Or it might be for a short amount of time. But the point is the same. It's not a status to escape, but a season to embrace. My question is, are you trying to escape singleness? And if you are, why? You're like, I just don't want to be alone anymore. Why? Because there are great things to learn about your identity. There are great things to learn about the kind of friends and family you need around you when you answer that question. And my question to you is, will you embrace this commission to bear the torch of Christ's justice and love? Will you accept the advice of Paul to embrace, to remain single, to be concerned about the things of the Lord? Will you embrace this? Listen, I, I don't want anyone, anyone here who has heard because you're single, you have just so much more time on your hands. You're like, oh, you're not married, you don't have kids. Oh, you just have so much time on your hands. If you're a single person or a student, are you just tired? If you're tired of hearing that, can you just raise your hands for me? And what? Yes, thank you. You're so much more bold than the previous group. I appreciate you. What I'm not saying is you have more time on your hands. You might, I don't know. What I'm saying is there is a capacity there is time, there is an interest, there is a, a, a calling for those who are married right now to their spouse that you can use for the kingdom, that you can use that time, that you can use it for that if you're supported, if you're cared for, if you're loved. What I'm saying is you have a, a mental, emotional, and physical capacity that we may not. Everyone's different. But that instead of being devalued for having that, you should be valued because of what you can do for the kingdom and find joy in doing for the kingdom. It's such a tricky concept to talk about. But you can have intentionality that some of us don't. 
That doesn't cover every circumstance, obviously. I can't cover every single personal instrument. But I, I hope, if you're single, that you hear what I'm saying to you, is that I have great hope for what God can do through you, and I hope you feel some confidence and growing in what you can do for God. My question to you, one more question, singles. I know these are hard. Are you looking to feel complete when you are married? Or could you feel complete now in God? Now, enough hard questions for the singles. Ultimately, I want you to know that I want to elevate you. I want you to, to understand how much we care for you. And people are like, hey, we haven't talked bad about the singles. We, we, we haven't seen them as less than. Like, yes, you do. You, you do. We all do it. We all, we all say, like, hey, why aren't you married? Or when are you thinking about getting married? Or why don't you go out there and put yourself out there and get married? All those kind of things. Or, or, or this way. When is the last church singleness conference you've heard about? You know, like a marriage conference? When's the last time you heard of a singleness conference? Ever? Unless it's like a singles get-together so they can get married, right? <laughs> like, that's, that's what we do. The, the resources aren't there. See, this is so ingrained into us. Instead of, uh, of celebrating them and including them in leadership like we have here at the church, we're doing something different. In fact, that's what I want to talk about. It's mostly about what the church needs to change. The church needs to change. Now, these position papers, they get written, then they get taken to our leadership team. Our leadership team are the people who are elected by you to lead this church in the vision. And one of them is single, and I love that. And I hope we, hope we always have at least one or two or three or four on our leadership team of people who are single, who are dedicating themselves to what God is calling them to do. And one of the things I said to them was we wrote this paper. I'm like, hey, guys, this paragraph, they're like, yeah, this is great. Let's do it. And I said, okay, cool. We say this, we're going to have to follow through because the church has not been built to do this. We've got to follow through and say that this is actually real. We must, as a church, embrace this in the way we speak and what we preach about and what we do in our programs. But we as a church, as individuals, as families, have to embrace this. So if this is true and you agree with what is being said here and you're part of this church, especially if you're a partner, you should be asking yourself the question then, okay, so how do I support single people? Not because they're less than, but because they have their family, their brothers and sisters. Maybe I need to stop thinking about my little family as just something that exists on its own, but that invites other people into, that invites people into, the, you know, the, the vacations as well, the weekend trips, but also into the dinners around the table to the good and the bad. You know, I, I talked to one individual, and this is just one individual I talked to, so this isn't all singles or anything like that, but just said, I don't have a social life. My whole social life is here at the church. I don't have a family around what if we embraced? In fact, I think we should. I think we're called to because they're part of the family of Jesus Christ. I want to talk to the Marys, who are, Marys who are next. Uh, Marys, uh, maybe you're newlywed, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, second marriage, I don't know. I want to talk to you. But before going forward, I want to acknowledge those who are potentially just got out of or going through a divorce. I know as we talk through these things, it might be really difficult for you. And you might be in this place of singleness you never expected to be, and you're replaying your whole marriage and trying to think about what was or wasn't. And as we read these next paragraphs and talk about the intention of marriage, it may be very difficult for you. I want you to know I see you, that you belong, and that I care about you. So I want to talk now about marriage. What does our paper say? A God-honoring marriage is between a man and a woman who submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. God establishes this union in creation. And while marriage has a purpose in procreation, we believe that a marriage without kids can still honor God. 
The intent of a God-honoring marriage exists to point us to the attributes and activity of Jesus towards the church. The church is the bride of Christ, and marriage reflects this beautiful relationship. A marriage should only be pursued if this purpose is upheld. This has nothing to do with compatibility, chemistry, and convenience. I'm going to go through this quickly, but first I want to point out one of this, uh, one section that's important. While marriage has a purpose in procreation, we believe that a marriage without kids can still honor God. Someone needs to hear that. Maybe because you chose not to have kids, maybe because you can't have kids, but you need to hear that. You are not less than because you don't have kids. We've done this in the church. And as a pastor, uh, I instantly became better at my job somehow when I had my first kid. People respected me more. I, I'm, I, I was baffled by it. They were like, oh, you have a kid. Oh, you have three kids. Oh, that's, that's awesome. If you have six kids, you're just crazy. I don't know where the line is in between the two. But think about it. In the same way that I arrive because I'm married, I now somehow arrive because I have kids. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Kids teach you how selfish you are. Kids teach you how, how you, need, you need Jesus. You need Jesus, like, like that. You need Jesus, like every day. Like, <laughs> so, so I get that. But I don't need kids to teach me how I'm selfish. And the only way to, to ascend to that plane of existence is to have kids. Well, that's not the case. In fact, I'm actually less able to do my job because I don't sleep. And I don't have any money. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, so I, I love kids. They're, they're a blessing, but they are of concern to me. Yeah? In the same way as having a wife is of concern to me. And so you're not less than in a marriage for not having kids, and you're not less than as a single for not having kids. It's part of it, but it isn't what makes it. So let's talk about what it is. The intent of God-honoring marriage exists to point us to the attributes and activity of Jesus towards the church. The church is the bride of Christ, and marriage reflects this beautiful relationship. So here's the key. The key to all of this is we get married to show what Jesus does for all of us. And that's powerful and beautiful, and it is good. But that's not why most people get married. When I do premarital counseling, I always ask them this question. They come to me, and then we question, I can say, hey, why are you getting married? And most of the time, they don't stare at me blank face. They know what they're going to say. They said, well, we love each other. And I said, oh, that's beautiful. What do you love about each other? Why do you love each other? I dig a little bit to see. And almost nine times out of ten, what they go to is something along the lines of this. We just have such a passion for each other. We really are compatible with each other. We get along. Uh, we're ready to start a family and, and, and to have this. The, the, the main way they express their love for each other is through chemistry, compatibility, and convenience. And it takes us a long time to dig and have some questions about what that means and how that reflects Jesus' love for the church. But I'm going to let the Word of God do that. I'm going to let the Word of God. Now, you listen to what the Word of God says. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. 
Does that sound like chemistry? Comfort or convenience? Not comforting, but comfort, the nice things in life. Jesus died for the church. That's what this kind of love is. And husbands specifically, all of us are, but husbands specifically, we're, we're called to love the person across from us. Let's think about Jesus. What happened to him? He was beaten brutally. His, his character was maligned by all of the people around him. He died a horrible death to love the church. And what was the church doing right there? Standing by his side? No. They had abandoned him. That is the kind of love that God calls us to do. That's what looks like Jesus and the church. Okay, let's talk about women. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. This verse, by the way, before I go on, seems to instigate strong negative feelings in people. That word submit, Watch yourself. If we were in a church that talked back, there'd be a couple people saying, watch yourself, careful. I'll just let the Word of God do it. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives must submit to their husbands in everything. My goodness, I don't know which one's harder. Loving your wife so much that you would die for them or submitting. I don't know which one's worse. I know which one takes a little bit more humility. That's the submitting one. I'll just let you know that one's harder. I don't know, but this is what we're called to do. And when I look at that and I think of what Jesus Christ did for his church, what he continues to do for his church, and I look at the reasons why we get married today, I see such a huge gap between them. When uh, Jenna and I uh, um, got together for the, for the, the last time, that continues till now. Like <laughs> we had actually dated before. We dated in high school. And she broke up with me. And I say she broke up with me because I had wanted nothing to do with breaking up with her. I wanted to be with her. I didn't want to be anywhere else. It was devastating. And both of us, we had some work to do because we had looked to that relationship so much to tell us who we were that when we broke apart, it felt like a piece of ourself, our identity broke because we were doing it wrong. And so long story short, uh, a couple years later, we had spent some time with Jesus. There was no intention of us ever getting back together, but we found ourselves uh, at a park together, and all of a sudden, the relationship, we're like, oh, there's passion there. And my wife and I aren't super compatible. We're very different. I'm just letting you know that right now. Uh, but there's always been this passion with us. And when we got back together, we sat down to talk about it, like, ooh, are, are we going to do this again? And we realized, no, we need to go and pray. We spent a week praying, not talking to each other, not interacting, uh, not talking to anyone else, really, just praying. And we got back together and realized two things. One, um, our identity had to be based in God alone. Um, and if, if we uh, are going to start dating again, it's because we think we're going to get married. But the big one we came to was this. We would only start dating each other if we believed that together we could serve God better than we could apart and single. And we made a conscious decision and really thought about that, and we decided, yes, we believe we can serve God better together than we can apart. Is that why you got married? Is that part of it? Now, this isn't about me. This is actually something I learned from other people. I didn't decide that. I didn't come to some epiphany on my own. It was what I had been taught by people who followed Jesus Christ. 
And many of us, that's not what we get to. So I try to get all of my couples who are in premarital counseling to that point so that they can make that same decision. We believe that we can serve God better together than apart. Why did you get married? That's a question. I was talking to an Indian couple this week, and they had an arranged marriage. And it kind of shocked me, most because I'm not as cultured as I'd like to think I am. And I'm like, oh, but because the way I have observed them since I have known them, not knowing that they had arranged marriage, was like, oh my gosh, these people love each other so much. They're so sacrificial. They joke. They're cute. They have little things, and they're like all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, all of a sudden, in my mind, I realized I thought it had to be about you felt this way about someone, then you got married, but realized that they had grown something together. And I was talking to them about it, and they said, yeah, it's only because of Jesus Christ. Because he has shown us how to love, we know how to love each other. And now we have this great, vibrant love powerful love that points to who Jesus is. You see, so much of what we learned is cultural. Married, we need to determine that the primary purpose of our marriage in the way that we act and our attitude reflects the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Or is it more for our benefit or to find our identity? Is it about financial security ability to create a lifestyle, to not be lonely, to have someone in the bed next to us at night. It's about having kids and successful ones. What is marriage for? It's for submission and sacrifice. And that's where we find joy. And the beautiful thing about it is, if we get this right, then our marriage that's sacrificial and loving isn't just good for our kids, but it's like this tree that bears fruit. It creates shade for those who are hurting and broken. It becomes a light in the community. It becomes a place where those can rest and find healing and wholeness because the relationship looks like Jesus and the church. I want you to encourage you. I want to encourage you as a couple to engage this conversation again. And if you're about to be married, I encourage you to have this conversation first because marriage is difficult. It's hard. Paul would spare us that. But there's joy in it too, and it's good. But it isn't about your convenience. It's not about compatibility. It's not about chemistry. It's about sacrificial love. I want to read the last paragraph of this uh, paper and encourage you that if you have questions about it, to actually listen to Jared's message last week as we expand on it. But it says this, We acknowledge that there are same-sex unions and partnerships that exist in our culture and in our church. While these unions do not reflect the intent of God for marriage, we will create belonging and point everyone to the grace in Jesus and the transformation of his Holy Spirit. Last week's message expands on what that means and our attitude and actions in response. But today, I have endeavored to empower single people and to challenge the married people that all of us should bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. Is your relationship status doing that? One last thing before I commission and call you to some things and we go into ministry time. I can't talk about every situation and I can't talk about every circumstance. There are those of you who are in marriages where you're being physically abused. What I'm not saying is that God is calling you to stay in those things. God is calling you to to be safe for sure. And so I I know I can't have every one of those little caveats, but I'd invite you to have a conversation with me or with Jared or one of the women up here who are going to be praying 
um, if you're struggling with something because I care about you and I love you and Jesus loves you and the church should be a family that creates space for singles and marrieds no matter where they're at to find belonging but also to find empowerment to bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. So here's my action steps. I want to talk to the singles. Singles, I know that you might be busy. I know that uh, you might have things going on, but I want you to consider dedicating your time, money, and relationships to justice and love, to making some changes in your life, to committing to that and to committing to the fact that you are not less than. And God may be asking you to embrace this season and to remain single, maybe for a long time, maybe for a short time, but not to see it as a waiting period, but an intentional time. I want to call you up to come and get prayed for. Uh, in just a second, there'll be people up here in the prayer team. If you're out there, you can come right up right now too while I'm talking. Come down and receive prayer, especially students. Prayers that God would empower you and commission you to go and make a difference in the world right now. Those who are married, you might be sitting next to your spouse and you have a lot of questions or things you want to talk about with them. You might be elbowing them or getting elbowed. I don't know. What I want to say to you is this. It doesn't matter how you started your marriage. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if you drifted. It doesn't matter. The potential because you know Jesus Christ to re reflect Jesus' love for the church is always there. It just takes intentionality. What changes are you going to need to make with your time? What changes are you going to need to make with how you spend your money? Do your attitude and actions reflect sacrificial love of Jesus Christ for the world? Or for you? And what changes do you need to make with your time with your kids and how you kids spend your time? I could ask question after question after question. The reality is, I only want you to do what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do through His Word. And I know that whether you're single or married, this is done in community. Hey, welcome back. Uh, like I said, I hope you heard the encouragement in that and the challenge, the encouragement to singles to use your season, however long that may be, of singleness for the strength and value that it has uh, as people who can fully devote their lives to pursuing God and leading others to him. Uh, and also the challenge for those of you who are married, the, the challenge to evaluate the foundations of your marriage. Are they centered on... Uh, reflecting Jesus' relationship with his church, the body in your marriage. Um, but I hope that that gives you a lot to think about this week and to pray about. Uh, if you have anything going on this week, whether uh, it's something you heard from this message um, or just something in general and you need prayer or support, be sure to reach out via the Connect card or just uh, to someone in our congregation uh, specifically to ask for a prayer uh, or even to uh, reach out to Pastor Al and ask about life groups, which are uh, communities that you can get involved in uh, that will support, uh, pray with you. Um, they're great places to be and to belong. So reach out for any of that. But I hope that uh, this week you hear the call to devote your life, uh, single or married, to glorifying God and being a reflection of him in the community as you were created in the Imago, Imago Day. Praying that you have opportunities uh, to do that this week. Have a blessed week, and we'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.